Hello, hello. This is your host, Corbin Johnson, welcoming you to another episode of The Long Journey Home. Today, we begin a new format for this show, at least in theory. This is a pilot for a more daily show of The Long Journey Home. I'm hoping to transform this from an every-so-often podcast to a reliable two to three times a week. Yes, reliable is with variability like that. I'm really hoping that we can do Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but it all depends on me having the chance to actually write down some ideas for the show and on getting some guests on to talk about whatever's on their mind. So before we go on, I want to invite all listeners to submit two to five minute segments for the show that could be aired at any time. Just things like card combos or favorite cards or card reviews or set reviews or top five lists or ideas they want to talk about or philosophies or comparisons or art or poetry or musical pieces or whatever the heck tickles your fancy. And you can submit those to me at corbinjohnson at me.com as a mp3 or m4a file or you can call me at 267-CALL-CPJ and just read it or write it or sing it or whatever you want to do on the phone and I will be able to play it on an upcoming episode of The Long Journey Home. So I'm excited for this new format and without any further ado, let's get started with the news. Mini achievement release came out. We had Relativity Achievements, TNG Cardies, TNG Non-Aligned, and various other achievements come out. Many thanks to Rogue Schindler for putting that together in Malways. The uh, achievement rollout has been slow going, but it's been pretty exciting to finally have a gold, uh, a couple more gold achievements. Um, all that fun I've been having with Relativity finally paid off in the form of a couple of awesome achievements that I get to share with 27 and 13 more people. It's exciting to see how uh, People have adapted Relativity as their new go-to affiliation for uh, some people, and they really love it. The raffles are closing. The raffle, the fourth quarter raffle, closes on December 31st, the bins that is, so be sure to get your entries in before then, because if you don't, and you wanted to, you might regret it. Or not. I've spent all my raffle tickets on a couple of items that I'm hoping no one else put their tickets into, so we'll see how it goes. I've been saving those raffle tickets up since, uh, well, I hadn't, yeah. Anyway, the free premium membership is open right now. Now, no one has asked me to discuss this, but I thought I should, that there is the, uh, the opportunity for players to try out the premium deck builder and premium uh, features on the site. One of my favorite features is the OTSD printers. Uh, it'll print out an 11 by 17 sheet of a custom-made OTSD box and customize the box color and the icon and all that. I used to give them out as prizes on the 1E game show and then didn't because they're uh, kind of a pain to ship out, but it should be re relatively easy for you to create them on your own. And you get your own blog, and that's kind of fun. You can talk about whatever the heck you want to talk about, uh, especially if you don't have time or the will to put together a podcast. So... Check that out, it lasts two weeks, and I think if you buy a membership, a premium membership, that it will simply get tacked on to the end of two weeks. 
So, very exciting. And I hope someday we get that birthday promo back going. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool, and some people were kind of bummed that they didn't get their cards. All right. Well, that's what I've got in the news for today, December 30th, 2013. I will move on now to a top five list segment. Now, the segments aren't cemented yet, but I'm hoping to have regular segments on a daily basis. This top five segment will be about, since the year is closing, I thought we'd go back and I would talk about my top five expansions from 2013. Starting with number five, Homefront 5, Sites. Woohoo! I'm excited that everyone has Sites available now. Uh, I still personally am a little shaky on how exactly some of the Sites work. <laughs> That's reassuring coming from the designer of Emissary, one of the designers. However, it's good that all the Sites are out there for everyone to play with in every format, especially Block, for all the Noors that are out there. So, go out and have fun with those. We're schoolroom, guys. I think we dropped the ball on that one. All right. Number four, Unnatural Selection. That was a great... Uh, I, I love this set so much. I really do. Um, the dilemmas in it, I think, are bold, and I, I especially like the uh, choice uh, theme of the set. I felt like this set was fantastic for having a high theme. I mean, a theme that was new and bold and different and was well explored, I think. And um, especially in the new affiliation that came out with it, if you want to play with that, you really have to make the choice to, because uh, uh, not only were the relativity and the TNG and all that added to uh, the achievements, but so was Khan. And you can see that whereas 13 decks have gone on to win, uh, relativity has gone on to win tournaments, only two have gone on to win as con decks. So you can see that when you choose to play con, you not only, I mean, <laughs> the affiliation is a very hard one to win with, obviously. So there, there's that. And um, so I, I think the Hoskins and Nick Yankovic really, you know, hit it out of the park on this set. And that's why they are on this list. And uh, yeah, so I love the set. Number three, Little Horn Tooting Emissary. This was a very important set because I think it has set up the second block in a good way. And we are all ready and excited for the rest of the DS9 block. And we're excited that we will finally, once this block is over, and I guess to a certain extent already, have the all the Fed affiliations, except Maquis, I guess, so when the block is done, all the Fed affiliations will be mapped out into separate little group thingies that make them special and different from each other. So, top three. Number three is Emissary. Number two, the sky's the limit. Uh, there's a lot of great things about this set. The self-moving dilemmas, the non-aligned Alpha Quadrant Borg, which some on the boards are saying are their favorite affiliation to come out of this, uh, out of this TNG era, the CC era block set uh, effort. And it really kind of had an old 1E set feel. If I had to compare it to an 1E set, I would compare it to the motion pictures in terms of its flavor. And uh, especially because some of the cards indeed had to do with the motion pictures, especially Star Trek Generations. And my favorite card to come out in many years is A Missing Day. And wow, what a great card. 
that card alone would have been worth the price of admission, honestly. So good job, Charlie, and others on that set. I, it's, it's a great one. My number one set of 2013, It's a Matter of Time, because, well, because of relativity, of course. But not only that, I, I've hinted at the thematicness of, of unnatural selection, and if we're going to talk about themes, we've got to talk about A Matter of Time, because, or just Matter of Time, excuse me, because it was a time travel theme, and who doesn't love a little time travel? My favorite movie of all time definitely is Back to the Future. It's not terribly surprising. Uh, but the the time travel feel of it was 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 exciting. Even even uh, the first card that I think was spoiled from the set, if I recall correctly, I can't remember the name of it, but it it, it really held the theme of time travel in a in event form, and that was the event that let you remove two dilemmas from under your opponent's mission and score five points. Wow. Now, now it's not a well-played card, and it's a card I'm not going to play with a lot, but I love the feel of it. I think it's an exciting idea to see that maybe in some sealed play, and it just it, it helps embody it. And it had a it was City on the Edge of Forever was the theme of that card, and it just came together well, I thought. Like, two steps forward, one step back, right? Um, you still took the two steps forward by getting the points, but you took the one step back by taking the two cards from under your own mission. Your opponent gets them back. I think that's what it was. So, yeah. So, uh, that, that is my top five sets of 2013. All right. In our next segment, we'll be discussing forum matters. Uh, before each show, I'm going to take a quick look at the forums and see what kind of buzz is a Bruin and just discuss them here for a few minutes. So, uh, my first uh, Forum Matters segment is a look... Uh, there, there was a thread. I forget what the thread was about, but inside the thread came up this notion that in 1E, if you're using the Civil War tent, that your opponent is allowed to look at the 13 ref cards you've chosen. Where does that even come from? I don't even understand. <laughs> No, you can't look through side decks, not unless you have a special card. That's why Timison exists, I think. It was a Timison, or it wasn't Timison. Uh, but it was a guy in Q Continuum who says, may glance at your opponent's you know, seed side deck for 10 seconds once per game or something like that. So just because they're face up doesn't mean your opponent gets to look at them. I see no precedent for that in anything, including Glossary. Well, of course, including Glossary, but nowhere else is there any precedent for that. And just because my Discord pile is face-up doesn't mean that you're allowed to look through it. In fact, the rules of OTF specifically say you cannot look through your opponent's Discord pile. You can only look through your own. And if I've got a Heisenberg Compensator out, well, you, you can see the top card of the deck, sure, and maybe you'll sneak a peek at some other cards in the deck, but you're not going to be allowed to look through my deck just because of that. There are cards. I think there is another card that lets you look through a seed deck. So... You want to look at your opponent's cards, especially your face-up opponent's ref cards, which I think are kind of secretive information that I don't want my opponent to see. Then you're going to have to pay for it. You don't just get it because someone else did it and someone said it was okay. All right. So I'm not passionate about that, no. Anyway, other forum matters. If you could add one card to block, what would it be? Uh, this was posted by Ad, uh, Aoid, Aoid Muse. I don't know where they got that name from, but cool. So from Aoid, 
uh, this this person, this uh, poster suggested adding Galen to Block because of his mercenary ties. It's unfortunate that Galen isn't a part of Block already, uh, especially because of the mercenary stuff. I'm assuming he can be used with the Stone of Gaul. Um, someone else uh, threw out Q's tent as a suggestion and pretty much said that that ends the thread. I, I think that it would be an interesting choice to add it to block, and it was discussed when the Civil War tent came out, and in the end we decided that we wanted a one one e format where you wouldn't have to worry about a tent, and it looks like that's stuck so far. So with the Nor being added to block and its ability to download cards on a whim, there is, you know, at least some way to download any necessary card at a given time. But without the tent, uh, and it's interesting how Block is not following the not following the same design as Decipher. Uh, well, I guess it is to some degree. We we start we wanted a fresh slate. We couldn't, you know, we didn't want to abstract the AU icon away, so we included Temporal Micro Wormhole and Space Time Portal but uh, left out the alternate universe door, you know, for what it's worth. The alternate universe door, as a card to play, doesn't do much in block, but to seed it would be one way to ensure that you can always get alpha, uh, alternate universe personnel into play. But now, with you, the other two cards can be discarded. You have to discard them by you know, your choice, but you know, they can go away at some point, and then you might find yourself a little SOL when you try to play an AU card. So, um, so AU, and then Q's continu Q continue was next, and that added the major component of the Q's tent, and now there is no tent in block. And so, if you need to dial a card, you basically need to play with a small deck. Now, the solution to that problem of needing to get to a certain card fast apparently is a way for you to, as a draw engine, that can draw four cards at a time. Now, it's cool. You have to pay for it by getting to a place. It's still interesting, and it's a little less cheap than... Or it's a... It's... It's... it's what is it? I'm, I'm thinking about it in, in relation to Handshake, and Handshake, I think, would be an interesting card to add to block, but... Um, yeah, so... If you need a card, you have to draw for it, and if you need a card, you need to add multiple copies of it to the deck. So, block is saying... Well, you don't need a card. Just play. Just don't worry about it. You, you know, if you need a specific card, well, you know, you either get lucky, you add a lot of copies of it, you draw for it, or you just you know, don't get the card. You, you can't get a specific card. Ha ha. So, block is interesting in that way, and it's very, it's, that's 1E before Q Continuum. So, you know, for now, we will see how it plays out. Obviously, one person thinks we do need a tent, and I bet more. I bet for you know, for every one person, there's ten more, right? So, there's got to be uh, several people who probably think it's a worthwhile thing to add to the block. So, it's an interesting idea. Other cards I considered, uh, I haven't posted back, include Tribunal of Q, simply because there are a couple of ref cards, and maybe it might be interesting to have ref cycling. Maybe not. So. Probably not a great idea to add to block. I couldn't think of a really great card though that would just completely change block, other than maybe 
Kivas Vajra Collector, which doesn't make any sense given the cards that are out there. Maybe uh, something to help capture more cards. Uh, right now, Holding Cell Door would have been nice. Maybe a uh, Nor that is, you know, not universal, but is just the Nor. That might have been nice. But other than that, there's not a lot of cards that, you know, just maybe Space Door, maybe um, something like that. Something like that would definitely shake up Block, I think. I haven't played enough Block to know what it needs and doesn't need, though. So, and, and I think that's a shortcoming. So, Viva La Playing More Block, perhaps. So, that would be fun. All right, well, that's it for the main segments of this show. And one last segment that I want to do to kind of continue on uh, the show, you know, hopefully the long journey home remains a place for players to learn more about the game and not just discuss the game. And ha- uh, th- this is a soapbox, obviously, but it's also a place for me to try to help players learn the game and think of the game in ways that they don't normally think of the game. So this last segment is a tribute to Mark Rosewater and his podcast on creativity in his own Driving to Work podcast. And I call this segment The Philosophy of Trek. And what I'll do is I will take two topics of Trek and combine them in a creative, outside-the-box, sort of new-agey, kind of funky way where I'm just going to find common elements of the two and try to mesh them together and talk about them. You know, very much like an English paper you might have written in the eighth grade about two stupid topics. I think the one that was used in his podcast was spaghetti and bananas or something like that. Or something like that. That wasn't that. Spaghetti and monkeys, maybe. So uh, I'm just going to take two Trek topics and talk about them, and we'll see what comes from it. Well, uh, this, this, uh, today's podcast, I'm going to be comparing deck design to the Prime Directive. So, um, I'm a big fan of TNG, and that was the TN- Trek that I really grew up on was TNG. Uh, it used to come on right after The Simpsons on my local KBHK Channel 44, and uh, yes, it came on after The Simpsons at, or did it come on before The Simpsons? I think it came on before The Simpsons at 10 o'clock. I'd catch the tail end of it right before The Simpsons and go, wow, that actually looks kind of interesting. And I knew I had family who was interested in TNG, right? And this is a long way of me saying that the Prime Directive was so important in TNG that I every, every time every time I watch an original series episode or I see Kirk violate the Prime Directive, I go, "What the hell are you doing, man? It's the Prime Directive," and that's why that's why the opening sequence of Star Trek Into Darkness bothered me ever so much until Pike said, "Kirk, you're a dumbass. You know, stop freaking." messing with native cultures and you know that was the, the the fist to the face that Kirk finally needed and oh my god you know finally I felt like JJ had redeemed himself a little bit but I'm getting way off topic here so the prime directive what is it it's don't mess with a non warp ready culture don't interfere with the, the with the with the um, don't interfere it's a non-interference policy. Don't don't interfere with the natural uh, development of a species, right? And first contact, interestingly enough, was the movie where 
we kind of finally understood, well, what does it really mean don't mess with, you know, can we mess with a culture if they're asking for our help, like in the episode with Sarjanka, which is a fantastic Prime Directive uh, treati treatise on Prime Directive. That's a great episode. And um, so TNG, when I think, uh, I think TNG and Voyager were the two, uh, two series that, and, and to some extent, Dear Doctor and Enterprise, those were the three kind of, this is where the Prime Directive really became interesting. And so what, right? You know, why is the Prime Directive there? Well, it was originally there in the original series to keep uh, the, the people in, who wrote the show from making the easy way out for the crew, right? That was how they kept Kirk from, you know, uh, well, the Klingons are being, or not the Klingons, but the, the indigenous people, they're being bad. Well, we're going to beam the leader of the people into space and then everything will be fine. No, 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 you can't do that. We need to beam down. We need to get in the costume. We need to check out what's going on. And then kind of, I think Bread and Circuses was the episode that kind of talked about, you know, it was an interesting uh, take on the Prime Directive. Um, so, you know, so, so how does the Prime Directive tie in with deck design? So, the, the most important part of 1E, especially, and to some extent, second edition, but I think mostly first edition is deck design. You'll spend, I personally, I've spent more time building decks than I have ever playing with that deck. I've spent hours, sometimes a day, building a deck just because of the subtle nuance that goes into it and trying to figure out which cards just mesh right. And I try to not only... Um, where am I going with this? I, I, I not only want to find interesting and new ways to play cards and draw cards, which still exist, that are not explored, in my opinion, uh, in 1E especially. Um, not, not 2E so much to the same extent, but especially 1E. So I will find, you know, weird ways, especially like with the Dominion and turning equipment into shapeshifters or using the walls have ears to report shapeshifters to opponent ships, creative ways of reporting personnel and trying to find ways to get past the play three, draw three. And it's a hard code to crack. And when people do, though, that's when, you know, um, stuff hits the fan, if you will. So... How is that similar to the Prime Directive? Well, once once one of the crew, you know, uh, you think my favorite Prime Directive episode is Who Watches the Watchers? You know, Picard got pissed at Beverly when she beamed up that guy, the archer guy, from the surface and tried to heal him. And he was like, what are you doing? You know, he was injured. He was going to die. I had to beam him up to, to check him out. And, well, so, so why didn't you leave him there, is what Picard says. You know, he's cold-hearted. He's like, the prime directive. It's above, you know, we have a duty. You know, you respect life. You know, you're a doctor, so you respect life, but you, you have to uphold the prime directive. Well, you, now you got to wipe his memory, and that's not going to work, right? You know, that's the plot of the episode. So, but when it comes to deck design, you have to think outside the box, I think, and with the Prime Directive and trying to uphold it, the crew, more often than not, had to think outside the box and come up with creative ways to either not break the Prime Directive or to minimize their interference on the culture. Uh, contaminating a culture, right? That card from that Enterprise episode um, where Archer has to beam down 
and find his lost communicator. And in the in the whole, you know, in the midst of all that, no, there was no prime directive, right? But he he thought, you know, uh, Topol was like, hey, you need to go find that communicator because you don't know what kind of crazy stuff is going to happen in the development of these people. And he's like, fine, fine, fine. I'm going to go find it. And um, <laughs> anyway. Had to come up with creative ways to try to get around this problem. And in the CCG, our problem is play three, draw three, especially in 1E. Can you get around it? Can you get above it um, in a creative way? And even if you do, if you do, and it's repeatable and easy, and you're going to win lots of tournaments, well, you're you're still <laughs> there's a rata, right? And and at the end of the day. Um, now, I, I think I'm going to start kind of getting into, you know, what's won worlds and big tournaments for the last few years. Well, it's usually broken things, and that's not, we don't like that, uh, but there's not a lot we can do about it. Things get broken, and that's just how it goes. So, hopefully, hopefully, the, um, you know, things will come out of the woodwork, and things that didn't work in the past will eventually start to work, and we will... Um, come to a place where, you know, when Worlds comes around, you, you're not, the most broken deck doesn't win, it's the best deck, right? Um, now, here's the dichotomy, though. To play well in Trek, sometimes you have to break things. Sometimes you have to find the broken jank and bring it and win with it, right? Because everyone else is playing with stuff that's really good, and you want to play something that's a little, you know, off the wall, but the only way to make that work is to find some broken thing in the game and make that deck even better. And it propels it to a place that's better than the meta right now. You know, how do you make something that's better than continuing mission? At least that's what was the question for a while. And no one really found a good answer. Um, I think, well, maybe one of the Ferengi decks didn't use continuing mission in 2013 but um, at Nationals. But in any event, uh, you sometimes... So we, we're players, right? We want to win, and you win at all costs. That's, that's my motto. you got to be a spike. You must win at all costs at a tournament. Tournaments are where you bring out the big guns, and you just have to win. Even if it's a local tournament, sometimes you just have to pound away at the meta. And, you know, it's going to discourage some players, but hopefully if the CCG is sound, then bringing the good deck will force the game to evolve and it will put it in a place where hopefully more people can have fun with it and there's a response to the brokenness a good response so yeah you you want so how is deck building like the prime directive well you got to break it sometimes you got to break the game you've got to break the prime directive sometimes in order for things to evolve now now right you don't want to force the civilization to grow you want to minimize your contact with them as much as possible but sometimes it is inevitable you've got to save the crewman's life or it's it's on you to make sure that you didn't cause some civilization to evolve so in the end you you still have to play you you play the game and you you know, we all want to play the game, and we want to have fun, and we want to explore strange new worlds and seek out new life. But in order to do that, rules have to get broken. You know, set design. You know, you're gonna you're gonna think past the design. You're going to come up with something innovative. 
And that's what has to get done in order for this game to evolve and get to a better place. Like, like 7 of 9 and the Borg and how 7 of 9 thought that Omega was... She thought that Omega was perfection and the Borg thought it was. And at what cost, right? You know, millions of drones were destroyed. Whole, whole reaches of space became unwarpable all because of this desire towards perfection. But can you get there? Well, it is entirely possible. Could the game get to a place where it is perfect, where where we will never have to evolve the game again? No, no, a CCG has to have new cards put into it every so often, or else the best decks will be designed, and no one will have any fun anymore because the best deck or the best two decks will be found. And so you have to continually evolve the game. So there is never an end to... Star Trek CCG. It must go on in perpetuity or else it will die, like Lord of the Rings, like Austin Powers, like uh, Star Wars is still around, but like Young Jedi and Jedi Knights. And 95%, I would guess, of all CCGs, they die because no new cards, no support, no prizes, no retail support, and it ends. But CCG, Star Trek CCG can live on with our support and as long as new cards get designed and we keep building decks that push the boundaries of the game. So everyone has a vested interest in this game and everyone, just by building decks and posting them and talking about them and playing them, this game lives on. And wow, this rant is going on forever, but I think I finally found an interesting connection between deck building and the Prime Directive. All right, maybe next time, my next topic, I'll be able to get that done in five minutes. All right. Questions, comments, or concerns, give me a call at 267-CALL-CPJ, and you can expect more guests, more interesting segments, more news, more features, more music. I, I am planning on making this uh, podcast a little bit better in terms of bumpers and things like that, so stay tuned for that, but this was just kind of a pilot show, and I think this went really well, so please contact me if you like this, if you dislike it, if you have an idea for a segment, if you want to contribute a segment, if you want to write a piece of music, you want to write a piece of poetry, you want to submit a deck. I'm not going to read your deck on here, but you can read your deck, and if you keep it under five minutes, I will play it. So, all right. This is Corbin Johnson signing off, saying so long, and thanks for all the trek.